A reading from the book of Moses, Exodus 20, 1 through 4, and 7 through 20, and with uh, reading from the NASB. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not take, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of your Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the pe people perceive the, th uh, perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. A reading from the Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Philippians 3, 4 through 14. Therefore, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal of the persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as laws for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, to, on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 21, 33-46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine groves and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the hare? Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the pro proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But what on whenever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray and get started. Father, we come here to glorify you, to know you deeper, to know your heart, um, and to grow close to you. We pray for that tonight, Lord, through uh, everything that we read in your scriptures uh, and that we teach on. Let us have a heart that is overflowing with gratitude, thanksgiving, and a desire to get closer to you. Through your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. <coughs> Uh, so, as usual, I'm going to go off of uh, the Exodus passage, the Philippians, and then the New Testament, uh, Philippians and Matthew. Um, because this Philippian passage means so much to me, and I like it so much, we're going to spend the majority of our time in Philippians, and you can kind of tell that by the, uh, by the notes, where <laughs> um, half of my notes in the Exodus are just about things that are interesting, but we won't necessarily talk about um, but so let's start in Matthew. I just want to lay the, the picture and remind us as we're going through these parables that Jesus had taught for roughly three years. He had been, um, since we knew he traveled to Jerusalem before, uh, through different various times in his ministry because of the Jewish calendar and the three high festivals. This isn't his first time in, in Jerusalem, um, but but he comes in in the, the beginning of chapter 21 with the triumphal entry. We missed that week uh, two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about uh, how he was flipping. He had flipped the tables and the authority of Jesus was, was challenged. And he's bringing all of these parables 
to a head against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers of the temple, of those who, what he's talking about in this parable is those who are supposed to be like servants in his vineyard that were let out to him, that the earth was, you know, let out or, or rented out to the servants, and they were supposed to produce a fruit. But as the Lord comes and gets the gain, or is looking to get the gain, he sent servants, servants uh, prophets, um, and the such, and they beat them and killed them. And what would they do to the very heir of, of the vineyard owner but kill him, right? And so these parables are bringing ahead, and um, obviously we know the foreshadowing that he's, he's bringing of his, his soon crucifixion, but uh, I want to, there's one thing I remembered that I, I just underlined as Liz was reading on um, verse 46 is, and they feared the crowds, right? The, the Pharisees and everybody of the temple are continuing to f- have this fear of man that's controlling them. They wanted to seize him right there, and maybe this was a good fear of man because they kept them from arresting him <laughs> right there, but that's still their motivation. Uh, and you know through the parable that they're trying to uh, get the produce for themselves. So I just want to hit it really quick on uh, verse 43 of chapter 21. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Right? That is a continual um, principle of the kingdom of God that he's looking. There's this whole, uh, if you ever, I love Matthew. Um, I just had the opportunity to talk with somebody um, in last night about uh, we're going through the introduction to our eight, elements, eight essential elements to the biblical Christian gospel series. And like what normally happens is we don't ever talk about the outline or do anything. We just kind of talk about the principles in the outline and, and whatever. And there's so much produce and fruit themes and parables throughout scripture. It's kind of hard to miss, right? And so we we're bringing out um, Justin, it's in Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4, about the parable of the, the sower that scatters the seeds. And in Matthew, in the Matthew version, it says the word of, or the words of the kingdom is the seed, right? And um, I think Luke says it's the word of God or the word of the Lord. And Mark just says like, it's a word. And it's not even like a capital W in the ESV. And so, but there's the, the whole idea is produce, scattering seed, reaping a produce. The word of the Lord is the seed that goes deep into man's heart. And there's different things that choke it out or, or it gets stolen or whatever. But the whole fruit theme is huge because you also have uh, Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. And I don't know the reference to this. I didn't write it down in my notes or yours. But of the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that's planted, and then it grows into the biggest of plants, right? And one of the gospel versions says that it, you know, that all the birds may find nests. And so what uh, was very clear all throughout the Old Testament that Jesus is is preaching about is that he's going to give it to a people producing its fruits. He's, you know, it took uh, Peter over 10 years to realize this, but that the Lord's bringing in the Gentiles. He's going to bring in people of every nation and tribe and tongue. 
um, and it's going to be his own people that, that leave him, crucify him, kill him, and everything. And because that had always been the Lord's design, you know, we see that all throughout prophetic literature, the major prophets, uh, Joel, uh, Malachi is huge on that. And, you know, what we just read in Exodus, a few, which probably wouldn't have been about a month ago, is that it's the, it's the mixed multitude that's coming out with him, right? So as we had used the kind of the backdrop of the narrative of Exodus of these people who are leaving Egypt, going out into this desert place to come to the promised land, right? And they're, they're led out there to worship the Lord. We see the same things that Jesus is speaking of, of those people who are producing fruit, right? What happened to Korah and his people? They got swallowed up, right? They didn't make it to the promised land. They did not produce the fruits. So, it's all about fruit bearing. And we'll hit on that a little bit once we get to Philippians Philippians in practical ways. Um, So, let's talk about Exodus real quick. And um, hopefully, let's see. No, maybe, maybe, yes. No, no, yes, yes, counting all the people, all the eight people that are here. And yes, uh, that I'm just mentally counting we're at Wright State two years ago uh, when we went through, I don't even remember what series it was, uh, where we were talking about the law of God for a while. And I'll always bring this up, and I don't, you guys don't have to answer the question if you were there. Uh, nor do I want to exactly ask you. But we got to a point when we had been talking about the law and the commandments for so long, and I had tried to make the point and make the case of, of why you should at least have a summary version in your mind of the Ten Commandments, which uh, the first thing we're going to talk about here in a minute is that we shouldn't call it the Ten Commandments anyways. But anyways, um, is that you should have a summary version at least in your mind, if not... Uh, I know John Luke can recite all verses. I think it's uh, 1 through 18, might be all the way through 19 or something, of the entire word, right? Not just, uh, you know, honor your father and mother, right? The fifth commandment, or depends on how you count them. Um, But like honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. And so you should have that sort up in your heart. Uh, Psalm 119, <coughs> um, I think it's 9, or Psalm 119.11 says that uh, I have stored your word up in my heart that I may not sin against you. And what, verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his ways pure um, by keeping it according to your word? I think, it, I think it says word. We can look at it real quick. We got time. By verse 9 of Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding according to your word. Uh, I might as well just read 10 and 11. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your, what? Commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, We didn't do that. We haven't been doing this recently uh, because it was supposed to coincide with Greg's Sunday teaching on um, re-examining the word of God 
And so we were putting Psalm 119, we were adding Psalm 119 um, references in here and going through all, all of the, uh, what do we call it, stanza? Yeah, a stanza uh, for each week. And we kind of got away from that, but um, we noticed how in a lot of those commandments, statutes, uh, word, things like that, were kind of used as synonyms and interchangeable. So, um, when we get to the Ten Commandments, like, remember, they're going to the promised land. They're not in the promised land. And when we get to Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 8, 3, uh, you know, says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember what it says before that is, I have led you out here to see whether, pretty much that you would trust in me and obey my word, or that you wouldn't, or that, so that you would know that you don't just live by bread, but every word, right? And so that's all the way through Exodus. Real quick, I'm just going to test everybody. You can shout it out. Ten Commandments are found two places, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, right? Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. But this is the, the culmination in how uh, just a, about every walk of Christian life would see, or Christian practice, uh, would see that the Ten Commandments is an extension of God himself, of his justice, of even his mercy, of, of his own moral character. So when he gives you these, these ten words, these, these ten um, sayings, uh, and some of them as commands, right, this is like the culmination, right? They're on, there's all sorts of, you know, Ezekiel, was it 36, right? Before we even get to like the, the huge picture in Ezekiel 37 of, of dry bones of an army of nation people rising, we have this whole chapter of a section. And one of the sections is, is that uh, the Lord will turn our hearts of stone, right? And no longer write on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. And that's a huge theme. And um, I think it's only three places in scripture uh, there's only three references to the finger of God that I can remember. I don't think there's any more references to that. Does anybody know the three? One's writing the tablets here, right? Does anybody know the other two? Daniel, Daniel what happens? The writing on the wall. And what's the third one? What is it? Not Jesus writing in the sand. Uh, you might say that that was the finger of the second person of the Godhead. I, that makes sense. Um, I never thought about that that way. But know that the kingdom of God has come upon you, or I'm sorry, and is it Luke? The reference when if I cast out demons, know that the finger of God right, has come upon you. Those are the three, those are the three direct references uh, to the finger of God. And so that might be important. That's just a side note. What that means, you figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I always like Jeremiah 31 because it says, like, you'll have no need for anyone to teach you because uh, you all know the Lord. So you figure it out. You've got enough resources and, and whatever. So um, so that's kind of important, right? Because, uh, and we can kind of see how, you know, everything ties together and just that huge tablet theme, right? Huge tablets of stone, the law, getting new hearts, no longer written on tablets of stone and heart of flesh, but know what they are, because when 
the Holy Spirit writes his law on your heart. He's not diverting from this. So you can test yourself. And I think what it means to start becoming a mature Christian is uh, not that you have these memorized. I think that's important. I think that's a good tool, but I don't think that makes you a mature Christian. And I think those mature Christians who don't have the 10 words memorized, just putting that out there, but not that you should shortcut yourself. Uh, so don't take that as, well, you said I don't need to be, I can be mature without doing this. So what's the quickest way to maturity? Don't be like me and try to figure out the easiest way. Uh, but where we're we getting at, what was I talking about? Pulling a, you know who, uh, is that, oh, when, with maturity is when the, the Holy Spirit, right, when in John 3 about the new birth and the wind blows where it wishes, but you see the effect and you couldn't even perceive the kingdom without the Holy Spirit and, um, and all those things. Like the Holy Spirit's going to write these words, these commandments on our heart. That's when you know you're mature or you're getting into maturity is that those you start getting convicted and wanting to honor the Lord in those areas. And just to uh, give... A little bit more on that is, right, like one of the, a commandment is thou shalt not steal, right? And so what is stealing? If I rented something, if I rented Liz's lawnmower and it broke, do I have to pay her back or is it, or would that be stealing? If I borrowed it and it broke, should I pay it back? Would that be considered stealing? Well, all the law teaches about that, that the, the statutes actually tell about that. And so if I wanted to, um, so if I rented something from Liz, like a lawnmower, and I used it and it broke, I'm not morally obligated to pay Liz back because I'm paying to use something and it's her responsibility for upkeep. There's statutes about that. Now I could extend grace to Liz and pay for that, right? Uh, but if I was borrowing it and it broke, I'm then morally obligated to get her a new one or get it fixed. And Liz could extend grace and say, oh, no, don't worry. It's an old piece of junk. I was waiting for it to break <laughs> or whatever and say, don't worry about it. And I could extend more grace and say, no, 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 I'll buy you a new one off of Craigslist for 20 bucks or something. <laughs> um, but whatever. But, that's, but you have to understand that when you start looking at those things at the laws, you need to understand it the same way the Lord does. And the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, some of Numbers tells you how those things play out. And the Westminster Confession uses the language of what's called general equity of the law. And so it doesn't mean like in Exodus 22, uh, if my neighbor's ox falls into a ditch or my enemy's ox falls into a ditch and I see him struggling, that I, it says I have to help him, right? Well, if my enemy uh, was driving on a snowy day and uh, hit a snowdrift and drifted into the, to the bank and they're stuck, I can say, hey, it's not an ox. <laughs> this is a car. My hands are clean. I don't see any oxes, right? The equity of the law would say that, you know, that would translate into help my enemy if I see him stuck in a ditch, I'm morally obligated to help them out. Uh, and that would fall under, um, you know, one of those commandments. Uh, you can think of it in a couple of ways, but especially 
uh, when it comes to the ox, it's thou shall not murder, which I don't want to go into the Hebrew about. It's actually protecting all life, which is why we have husbandry laws about animals. But none of that matters right now. It's all just uh, for you to press out. And so when you look at the, that last verse in, in Exodus 20 about them fearing the Lord, that's hopefully we see the law and we read it and under, start to understand it and we say, like, the, the Lord's just not like coming down on a mountain and like, like happy as can be and chipper and say, hey, hey, here's a couple rules for you. You might want to consider this if you want to live your best life now. He doesn't say that. It's thundering, it's lightning, there's earthquakes. It is terrifying. And what does the Lord give? A holiness code. I, I wouldn't want to talk to him either. I'd be like, yeah, Moses, you go. Right? Like, and although the Israelites um, didn't, you can see throughout the rest of Exodus, didn't bring forth, uh, not, uh, not all of the Israelites brought forth uh, fruit of that, but the fear of the Lord should bring forth that type of fruit of, of what we'll see here in Philippians. And I'm just going to add this for a side. You guys can do your own research. Um, so one of the reasons why it's called the 10 words is because if you look at the Hebrew, it literally says 10 words is what it means. Uh, we also call it the law, the law of Moses by some, the 10 commandments, the Decalogue, which is the Greek for 10 words. Um, so the 10 words is really better and just saying that because they're not all commandments, right? There's also promises. Uh, there are commands to not do things and, and abstain, but there's also promises. And, and just do your own research about how Exodus 20 and, and uh, Deuteronomy 5 use the same commandments, in, but with different promises or diff, different explanations sometimes. So um, Exodus, it doesn't say the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words there in Exodus 20. You found out later in chapter 34 and in Deuteronomy 4 that it's referring to those ten words. And so, um, like I put in here, it's interesting to me, but not necessarily beneficial for a discussion tonight, that there are different orderings of the ten words. And that may be important And so, uh, to some, and it's just an interesting way to look at how different Christian streams have thought about these 10 different things, 10 words throughout history. And I'll give you a hint, oddly enough, it's the Protestants who get it correct. <laughs> they take the word of the Lord most seriously, and I can, we can talk about it later as to why. But so memorize a summary. Uh, you, we should have a correct fear of the Lord when we, when we read the law and say, like, this is like, oh my God, who could keep this law, Right? And that would cause us to need to cry out for faith. David loved the law. Read the law, memorize it, do it. All right, Philippians, one of the greatest passages in the epistles. Uh, I'd suggest everybody maybe turn there, unless we got it back here or something. And we got about 20 minutes. That's good. So this is another passage I would encourage uh, everyone to memorize. This is um, not that you should memorize every passage in the Bible, to be honest with you. It'd be highly beneficial if you did that. Uh, but just kind of um, 
um, in my own testament in my own testimony, what the Lord used this for was I had to really, really, really cling on to these things. And I can remember, I think it when I, I lived at Sydney's house, about just being in my room privately and having to like almost yell and continue to like repeat and repeat and repeat that indeed I count all things as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus, my Savior. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, nor that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from faith, nor that I may gain Christ, or nor that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings and obtain by any means possible, obtain the resurrection from the dead. And I would just recite that and cling on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. Um, because I think this is, in my own kind of estimation, is uh, just amazing grace from God in Scripture of what the entire Christian life is all about. I missed one. Becoming one. I missed one part. Becoming like him in his death in verse 10. That by any means possible, I may attend the resurrection from the dead. So... Um, we don't need to talk on rubbish or scubalon. I think we've all heard good. You got, Kyle was waiting to see if I said anything about scubalon, and this is it. And you guys already know. Do your research. If you don't know what scubalon is, ask Kyle. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of driving in the car and meditating on these things, and uh, which is where I do most of my Bible study prep is driving. And uh, hopefully I got most of them written down and, uh, and I can communicate it clearly. Because when you look at the honor roll that like Paul gives, um, we can always we can all put in there like what we hope to get out of this life, right? Um, whether it's financial status or doing something or uh, owning a business, uh, getting married, whatever, right? We all have these um, you know idols that we produce in our hearts, and that's one of the reasons why in the ten words. Uh, you know, the second one in the Protestant way of thinking is after having no other, shall have no other gods before me, the first one with a promise is, or explanation is about idols. You shall not make for yourself any idols because that's the first thing we do as humans is make idols. I think it was Spurgeon that uh, was quoted in saying, might have been C.S. Lewis, is that like we are, our hearts are idol-making factories. Just you get rid of one idol, there's another one. We'll make another one. If it's not marriage, then it's singleness. If it's not food, then it's fasting. If it's, <laughs> and whatever it is, right? Uh, we just constantly make idols. And what that is, is a value assessment, I think. And so when we do that, like the first thing he says, I love this, in verse 8 is, I did, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what is the most valuable of that knowledge and um, of knowing that closeness with Christ. And I think that's kind of at the heart of, of, of the gospel, of everything, um, I asked a gentleman last night, I, I often use 
Romans uh, 116 about, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, to just like ask people like, you know, it says I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to save all who believe. So can we agree that you have to believe the gospel to be saved? Yeah, that's what it says. Uh, okay, what's the gospel? And then from there, just like we were talking about the commandments of like, you know, what does thou shall not steal mean is whether it's biblical or not or whether it's true or not or whether it's something we've made up or not. And so um, uh, I was asking him about like, what is the gospel? And, you know, just like everybody, if you put them on the spot, it's kind of hard. That's a hard question because unless you have already studied and uh, have an answer prepared, right? You And to put you on the spot is always hard. But at the heart of the gospel, what we're talking about is knowing Christ, like actually knowing him, and not just like head knowledge, like experiencing Christ. That's what Paul puts as like, and you go through like Paul's life, like just imagine that. Use like a holy, like a God-given, use your imagination for a little bit to think about you know, Paul, as he's writing this, he's not just, you know, he's in jail. He's probably bound by chains. Um, but if you look in, I think it's Second Corinthians, like he was shipwrecked. He was beaten to the point of death. He was stoned in that one city and got up and went back. Like he's talking about everything, right? When he, when he gets to the sufferings. And he had like, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the top dog. He went to the highest school and he had notoriety and he was going around and making a name for himself and people respected him. And he's saying all of that is rubbish because I know Christ. Not so that I can get something else, right? It's not, I often think of um, uh, and have a way of thinking of, well, I'll, obey the Lord or I'll grow close to the Lord. I'll get filled with the spirit so that I can get to this next step of uh, maybe the Lord will give me insight into be like how to be more financially and vocationally secure or something. (laughs) Or uh, I'll, uh, you know, seek the Lord on this because I want to be more respectable or uh, whatever, right? And there's always using the Lord as a means to an ends that isn't, the ends, that Christ is the end, right? He is what we're uh, supposed to be like yearning for and design. And that's what Paul's heart is. He's like, he's saying the surpassing worth, value assessment of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, It'd be interesting to find out if Paul even had a home, you know, after he starts his journeys and his missionary trips, is if he even... I think it was much like, I don't know, this is just an interesting thing I'd like to ask Paul someday, is that, like, did you even, like, have a home? <laughs> like, Jesus, yeah, probably a tent, because he was a tent maker, and uh, that's a good, that's probably a good assessment. Um, but again, he says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them in rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, right? And we have to keep that at the forefront. He has to, if he's not captivating our hearts to where we're willing to put everything on the line, then we have to be able to identify that and ask the Lord for grace to see that 
and say, like, what am I missing? What's going on that I'm starting to value, like, uh, food over Christ or something or whatever that is? Or, or, like, why am I finding my security in money over Christ or whatever? Those are just things that I worry about is food and money. Um, mostly food. Where's the next pie coming from? <laughs> I think I already know the answer. I just don't know when it's coming. <laughs> so, uh, continuing on, right? Not having a righteousness that may be found in him and be found, I'm sorry, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The theological we term, or the theological term we use, is imputed righteousness that we gain Christ's righteousness, right? So if the Israelites uh, and faith works since the since Adam, faith has always worked the same way, right? There's no different faith that Adam had than that we have today. The Israelites, the Lord was looking for the same faith that when he when they looked to the law and heard the law, they would say, "Oh my God." How can this be? How can we do this? Unless the Lord did something, come down and save us, right? That's the faith that the law produces. And it's the uh, same faith that Christ had in the same way. Okay. Uh, Again, going back to verse 10, he says the same thing, that I may know him. That's three times he says this, that I may know him. This closeness, this intimacy, Paul is saying that like everything uh, is about like a knowledge, a deep intimacy with Christ and the power of his resurrection. So Romans 6, 4, let's turn there real quick. In the next couple minutes. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, I write notes in my Bible all the time. I've got Galatians 2.20, which says, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me, and all these things. Um, right, the power of his resurrection is what calls us and allows us to actually walk in newness of life. Um, you can see... Paul's heart in Philippians and much throughout of the, much of his epistles. Another one I encourage everyone to memorize. Anything I've memorized I think is the best because I've already got it memorized and it's, that would be easier for me and I'm always looking for the easiest way. But uh, 2 Corinthians five fourteen for the love of Christ controls us, right? It's the love of Christ that controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised, right? So the power of Christ's resurrection is, like, think about, like, one of the main, the meta-themes of the Old Testament, of the entire Old Testament, is that people die. Since Genesis 3 this power of death and this enslavingness to death rules over every person uh, until Jesus comes on the scene, right? And so uh, 
we probably won't get to all these notes in here, but um, when he says that by any means possible that we attain to the resurrection of the dead, like something I was thinking and meditating on today is, uh, and which I try to often do in some form, if I don't find myself thinking about it regularly, is that we are going to die. Every person in here has got some time on earth. Our life is but a vapor. And if you read Revelation 20, the notes I put on, you know, in the notes I put on there, um, also 2 Corinthians 5.10, is that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At some day, there's nobody that doesn't stand before Christ's judgment seat. And that's what we're living for, is that when we see Christ on his judgment seat, and then he's separating the sheep from the goats, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? And are we going to be welcomed into his eternal kingdom where we experience his presence without hindrance and worship him forever? That's what we should be, when he's talking about obtaining to the resurrection of the dead, I think he's um, deeply thinking out, because it's the third time he says that I may know him, is like when we think about death, when, is it earlier in Philippians? Yeah, he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. Are we thinking that like when I get to die, I will finally get to see Christ face to face without any veil that we have in this life and I will know my God deeper than any other point that I lived. And if that doesn't make you want to like fall on your face and worship, then uh, may God's grace be upon you and you cry out for the Lord to know him deeper. But he says like, by any means possible, obtaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it. Paul, we know that. You're still alive. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Um, but he presses on. Right, like every day, you know, having a mindset from the Lord that's saying, I'm pressing on towards this goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That that's what we're working for. That's what we're living for. You know, essentially it boils down to, uh, yeah, we can do different things to, to bear fruit and, you know, and we could look at different things in our life, you know, and we could be happy or sad about that. But are we growing in a deeper knowledge and sense of God? Like, do we know Christ deeper as we read the scriptures, as we worship, as we go to work, uh, as we live together in community, and whatever? Uh, Are we having deeper experiences with Jesus where we say, like, I know him deeper. I know his heart. I've experienced him more. And I think that's at the heart of, of everything in the Christian life, of, of what we're looking for. And looking forward and welcoming death at its due time, uh, not, not ahead of time, <laughs> uh, because we'll actually see God face to face. And we'll be welcomed in, you know, to his eternal kingdom where we can worship him forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray and, and worship. Father, we pray that we would have intimacy with you. We'd have closeness with you through Jesus Christ that you would send your Holy Spirit, even now as we worship, to experience you deeper, to know you deeper, that you would write your law on our hearts, that we would um, have deeper faith in you through the Holy Spirit.
and that you would um, tangibly have your presence reside here as we worship. Amen.